Welcome to Love Extremist Radio. Being a love extremist means committing to and choosing love as joyful activism. I'm your host, Ethan Lipsitz, self-proclaimed love extremist. Love can exist everywhere, and yet, when talking about it, we all seem to define it differently. There are many environments and individuals to whom love seems lost, or was never there to begin with. I want to engage myself, my guests, and you to confront love, get to know it as it appears in many forms, and learn from others who have love stories to share. I'll focus on three frames of love, self-love, love in partnership, and love in community. My intention is to uncover and share stories that shed light on love in new and often forgotten ways. Today, I'm really happy to welcome Janice Griffith on the show. Janice is an adult film performer, a writer, and an activist. Her work focuses on the sex positivity, self-love, and the des—excuse des, me destigmatization destigmatization of sex work through an emphasis on healthy sexuality, communication, and intersectional feminism. Thank you for helping me with that. It's a big word. And she loves to love. I do love to love. Which we both have in common, so... Hell yeah. I feel like I already know you. <laughs> um, so thank you for being here, Janice. Well, when you meet people who you really resonate with, it's like reuniting more than meeting, right? Yeah, it's I feel like, that. Oh, I know you. It's nice to see you again. It, it, it's, it really channels incarnation. It's, it's like, yeah, in other lives we've, we've been hanging out. Yeah, that like very deep sense of familiarity that we really have with I find that I have it with more people as I get older. Mm. Like the more people that I meet, the more that I feel like I, I know everyone when I meet them. It, it's all so familiar. It's like a, a snowball effect. Well, there's a combo over there. There's like the archetype that we embody, right? So we all have these archetypes. And when you study spirituality, you learn about all the different types of people that might show up. And then there's also that as we get older, we uncover the wisdom that the generations had given us, right? Or have given us. And so, yeah, with age comes this kind of familiarity with everything. Totally. It's really comforting and beautiful. And it makes life so much, I wouldn't say easier to navigate, but uh, more comfortable Mm. just in general. Like it's nice to feel comfortable and safe in a world that's sort of, exists in such a hectic and chaotic way where we're always on edge or we're all anxious or we're all in this very defensive mode. It's yeah. very radical to feel comfortable. Right. Yeah, no, I feel you. I, I think it's, it's really, it's a, it's a real reward. <laughs> just saying peace to some people coming in and out of the studio. You couldn't even hear the keys. Right. It was just like so funny. <laughs> Um, we're here, Love Extremist Radio. Bow, bow, bow. Um, so you need a soundboard. I know I need my mixer, but I also just have my mouth, so it's cool. <laughs> it's like we're good. We can all just you know make weird noises. Um, so yes, I, I I I think that is this kind of beautiful familiarity that that is welcoming, and it's so funny you say that. I just took a road trip across the country in this crazy painted station wagon that's outside. And to me, the vehicle is an extension of the body and is this way of spreading joy and love. So when people see a painted station wagon, often they smile and they're like, oh, that's so cool. That's so fun. And it's the same thing as a smile. The smile is this projection of joy. And when you meet someone with a smile, oftentimes it's disarming, it's welcoming, right? It's this gift that you can give and it can immediately if someone is in the space to receive it and offer it back to mirror and create this kind of connection of, oh, I see you, I know you, that's your authentic joy shining through. Totally. And, you know, the body is its own vehicle for the mind. Like everything is just an extension of ourselves, technically. Mm -hmm. Like anything that we use, we manipulate to our own, you know, will and purpose and everything is just how we interact with it. Right. We're going deep fast. <laughs> All right, let's back up I'm for so a second. Sorry. No, no, don't be. This is there's no sorry here. There's just we're going. Let's do this. So 
I want to know, Janice, what's your definition of love? Oh, goodness. I really, I have trouble with this because I think about it a lot. Okay. Um, you know, love is just what we all are. Mm-hmm. Like, as someone who has done a bunch of psychedelics, personally, and also I go to ketamine therapy um, weekly, and I actually had this experience where I came out of it and I just started, I was ecstatic. I was like overflowing with this like in, incredible positivity and wow. I was just crying. And I was like, I'm, I'm love. Like that's all I could say mm. over and over. And I came out of it like welling with joy and positivity and feeling capable and feeling like I could do anything in the world and that all of my problems didn't really matter and I I knew every way to act to make things different. And honestly, that really changed my experience with love or, you know, what I think love is. And it's something that, you know, I've heard in meditation practice and I've heard in yoga and I've just heard throughout my whole life is like, we are love. We are the collective love, like love energy. And I was like, yeah, okay. I was like, yeah, okay. Like, yeah, we are whatever. And then I had that experience and I came out and I was like, whoa, did you guys know that we're all love? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's not until it really clicks to you or you're ready to hear it and you're ready to feel it that it makes, it just makes perfect sense. Right. And that's how I felt in that moment. I was like, oh my God, everything fucking makes sense. What? Oh my God, can I curse? My bad. Yeah. Drop, <laughs> drop the bombs, which you, whatever um, you got. But love to me is just the pure, the purest thing that you can feel that like want for what's best for everyone, for yourself, for a stranger. Um, it's it's a combination of empathy and understanding and familiarity and respect and representation all layered together with something that you don't really get to control. You know, love is something that's, it, it comes to you mm. more often than, you know, when you seek it, you find it. I, I find that with the people I love, I couldn't help but love them. I just do. I didn't have any conscious choice in the matter of like, do you want to love this person? Select yes or no. Mm. Like I don't get that. It's just something that you are and you experience and you feel about other people. Yeah. I, 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 I'm hearing a lot. So first of all, totally relate to you on the kind of psychedelic awareness. I just did a holotropic breath work session last night and an hour of deep breathing gets you into a very similar state as one might in a psychedelic experience and definitely was reminded of that love energy and the fact that the welling the feeling of overwhelm and that it almost moves far beyond your body you know i was feeling all of hollywood i was just down the street at noya house and it was literally just i could feel the entire valley in my love and also the room and my body and it was both internal and out of my out of me and i really relate to that feeling but you also spoke of wanting what's best for all and there's a definition the writer bell hooks um, writes about in all about love uh, which she actually pulls from um, some psychological theorists um, eric Fromm and i want to say peck um, I forget, blanking on his first name, um, which is really oriented around that type of framing, which is to see and believe in kind of the soul growth of another being at, or oneself. And that's kind of wanting what's best, really, or see, believing in the best for all and seeing that potential. And so it's both, you're talking about a feeling and you're talking about, I think there's a verb in there. And you also mentioned sometimes the people that you love, you can't help but love them. But let's talk a little bit about the verb. Can you- To love? Yeah, like, cause, mm-hmm. cause there is choice, right? 
like it, you, your active choices, but I don't think, you know, the feeling of love, like I've loved people and not interacted with them. Like mm-hmm. I, so I don't speak to my mother at all. Mm-hmm. We have, we don't have a relationship, but I love her still, you know, mm-hmm. I've like, I can't help but love her, but I do what's best for the both of us by separating us. So then in that case, the action of separation is a loving act. Yes. And would you say that is a self-loving act or is that an act of love for her? Both. It is not only self-preservation, but saving her from the inevitable tumultuous relationship that follows. Mm -hmm. It always ends up in some aggressive fight and maybe she'll be more peaceful if I'm, you know, removed. Mm, Yeah. It's also interesting. You touched on meditation and, Mm -hmm. and, and so do you ever send kind of meta or loving kindness or think about? Oh, all the time. I'm, but I send it, I really do send it to everyone, but a lot of my focus in my own personal journey has been involving my mother and what impact she's had on my life and what love means through that sort of lens of like how someone who's supposed to love you unconditionally and care for everything that you do and want what's best for you when that's not really the case because it's not always the case in terms of you know your parents some people's parents are abusive some people's parents don't really want what's best for them and they don't really look out for them or have this maternal, unconditional, paternal love that we talk about. Um, I think that all human beings hold love for each other in some way. Mm. So, you know, that's that I consider just like fact, but the active loving of parents and their children is something that I think we gloss over and we just let the nuclear family exist and pretend that it's perfect when it's not. Yeah. I, I also have a controversial, and, and we, we don't have to go too deep in this, but I have a controversial kind of thought, which is that unconditional familial love sometimes is the first thing that is taken for granted in families or in close proximity. So maybe you're in partnership with someone and you realize, oh, I just kind of dump, I'm most comfortable with this person. And so I kind of dump the challenges of my life into this relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not, I don't want to say carelessness, but oftentimes when you're closest to people, they become the, like, the people that you might not remember to actively choose to love in a verb way. Okay. And so, I don't know if you resonate with that, but. I do. I also, I go to therapy every week and I, I, I find that a lot of people who put this sort of like, oh, I'm talking to the wrong people about the wrong things. Hmm. I think a lot of people could benefit from just going to therapy because then you don't have this, (laughs) you don't have this sort of like block of things that you're like, oh, I need to unload this all the time. Sorry. I use a lot of hand gestures and it's making. It's all good. (laughs) Um, you don't have this sort of block that you unload onto the closest people in your life because you go somewhere with the intention of actually doing that and then I don't have to carry it around all the time and when I do talk about it it being whatever thing that's bothering me when I do talk about it with the people that I love I find I do it in a more productive way because I've already gotten the the heaviest parts of it out. And I'm like, oh, now I'm just sort of processing it and sharing this thing that happened with you. Less venting and looking for that validation that my feelings are valid and that my feelings are okay to have. Not, you know, looking for someone to be on my team, just sort of giving you an update. Right. Well, I just want to appreciate that you have a team and that you're clearly have a self-love practice uh, in therapy and also ketamine therapy and props to props to being on it because I, I can relate. I also have a team and it's so important to have people who are professional helping you develop and, and, and maintain that self-love 
and also your emotional maturity and kind of working through the challenges of your day um, so that you don't necessarily bring them into your relationships and things like that. So that's dope. Um, I'd love to talk a little bit about where you find love in the adult film industry. I would love to answer that. Yeah, <laughs> I'm really curious because it's a world that I think obviously has been stigmatized and yeah, I just really like, let's get into it. How does, how does pornography inform your personal perspective on love? And also, you know, where do you find it? So let me give you a little bit of background before I get too deep into that and say that personally, I don't really participate in romantic love very often. Okay. I'm, I, I have trouble having those feelings for people, even though I have had them before. Mm -hmm. And I more often than not feel a very deep platonic love. And also I still like to have sex with people. It's mm. just not always a romantic way. And I remember being in high school and I would have a boyfriend and he'd be like, why, why don't you like me more? Mm. And I was just like, uh, I don't, I like you a lot. And you know, making out with you is fun and I care about you very deeply. And I didn't understand that what I was feeling wasn't romantic love. Mm. I was just like, why don't I like them more? Is there something wrong with me? Or maybe I just don't like them. Mm. But I wanted to have sex with them. I wanted all of these other things. I wanted to cuddle, I wanted to hold hands. But it was still separate from a feeling of romanticism and romantic love. So for me, getting into the porn industry was really cool and familiar because I wasn't really experiencing romantic love. I had actually just gotten out of a relationship, but having sex with people that I just liked or that I was friends with and I wasn't in a relationship with made a lot of sense to me, mm. you know, from the beginning. And I'm a very sexual person. And I remember I did two scenes and they gave me a check for more money than I had ever seen in my life that belonged to me. Right. And they were like, Hey, do you want to like do this for your job? And I was like, Whoa, I could just do this. Yeah. That would be, that would be awesome because honestly, pornography helped me love myself more than anything else. I learned about my body. I learned how to, identify when I had problems. I learned more about my vagina than I ever will from, you know, a thousand health classes. Right. Um, I take better care of myself than I ever did. And it gave me a really cool place to explore myself sexually where for the most part, it was a safe controlled environment where I got to do things and try new things and try things like heavy bondage and electricity and things like that in a nice controlled right supervised yeah exactly <laughs> and it was so so amazing and freeing for me to have that medium to explore myself and to share my authentic enjoyment with the world um like no shade to anyone who does a job because they need a job because under, you know, a capitalist society, you have to. Right. But I'm really lucky to enjoy my job like 95% of the time. Yeah, that's amazing. And it also sounds as though the love that you find in pornography is a really a self-love. It's really deepening your connection to your own body and to how you interact with that and offer that. And then... Well, that, that, that's what I'm hearing, at least from your initial response. No, I, I think that's a very accurate description. It's sex is very authentic and real and fun for me. And it is an act of love for me to do with a person. And I feel like it's so primal and fun, you know, sometimes, not all the time. But mm -hmm. for the most part, I like it's like seeing into someone's soul for yes. a minute and sharing yours with them in my personal experience. This is how I really like to have sex and it's why 
I think I enjoy it so much because I, I like to go there. I like to go as, you know, deeply and as intensely as possible. I love staring people in the face and to be inside of another person or to have another person inside of you is crazy when you think about it. It's nuts. But it really has brought me to a sense of self-love and therefore loving others more as well. I see people as more human. I don't I don't really see people as their physical appearance and everyone is sort of hot and ugly to me at the same time. Hmm. Like everyone has something that's like super fucking attractive about them and everyone has something that's like oh, that's a little bit gross. <laughs> and because in in sex like I've seen myself be like covered in sweat and makeup and dirt and like contorted into a ball in a way that like doesn't look beautiful right but is and isn't at the same time it just it is it's it's that it's neutral and it's really cool to sort of have less of a polarized opinion on things as someone who I identify as like a little bit shallow when it comes to like dating people and like how conventionally attractive they are. Mm. But shooting porn has really made me just like what I like. Mm. So what's reserved for partnership? What is it, What are the things that are sacred in loving connection. You said you're you're not really a romantic, yet are there specific things that you would say are characteristic of outside of work, things that you reserve? I'm actually a a hopeless romantic. I just don't feel that way very often. I see. So I've had romantic feelings for two people over the last five years, Mm. which is, not very many people, especially because it hasn't been in terms of like an exclusive relationship. It's just been going off of what I feel. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that oftentimes there is this false um, standard that we hold sex workers to where there has to be something that they reserve mm-hmm. for their partner yeah. and there has to be something special or else they've, given themselves all away when that's just not how humans work. That being said, there are things that I keep personal and special to me, but that's only because I want to. It's something that I, okay, I don't let people come in me on camera. Got it. But in like a very intimate personal relationship, I might. Yeah. Um, but that's more because it's just dangerous. It's just a dangerous <laughs> yeah, practice that's kind to of a let happen. Thing. Yeah. But um, you know, a lot of people in pornography have had vasectomies, and a lot of the women are on like heavy birth control or have uh, what's diaphragm or oh my god. IUD. IUD. I was like, I almost said DUI and I was like, I don't think that's it. No. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Or, you know, whatever other birth control. But for me, there are, there are endless ways for me to love people. And my, my personal relationships are so entrenched and soaked and doused in love. Like, Mm. I tell my friends I love and adore and admire them. I use every synonym possible for, you know, ardent adoration Mm -hmm. for a person. And I really love to love. I love, I love social media. I love to see what my friends ate for breakfast and the picture of their cat. I Hmm. love that shit. It's, I really do take enjoyment in everything that someone else likes or enjoys. I I feed off of it almost like it. It's amazing. Like if someone likes something, I'm like, 
yeah, talk about it more. Like, tell me everything about it. I want to live vicariously through your intense enjoyment. Yeah. So I've never felt empty or like I was searching for something in terms of romantic love because I've had all of these deeply fulfilling relationships outside of it. Yeah. I, I have people that I can cuddle with or that I can have sex with or I can call about my problems or to talk about X, Y, and Z and people to share their days with me and tell me, you know, what's bothering them or what they were so happy to tell me about, something that reminded them of me. Mm. It's, it's beautiful. My friend watched my dog while I was away and I, I make tea with roses in it and sometimes I smoke them in my joints. And he watched my dog eat roses off the ground and texted me and was like, your dog is you. Hmm. <laughs> and it was very cute to be seen that yeah. way. Yeah, that is cool. It also sounds like in the partner frame of love, maybe you separate sex and sex isn't necessarily tied to love where so many people in our society, in our culture say, okay, if I'm in partnership, like then like the way that I, experience that the way that I almost define that is oriented around our sexuality or our sex life and so often that's actually something that has a charge for a limited period of time and then needs to be reinvigorated in some other way mm -hmm. um, and and so scientifically often it's like a six-month period of time when you have that high energy sexual connection with someone and then you move into what's the next phase and what I'm hearing from you is you kind of have that awareness already and you experience love in so many different frames, whether it be in partnership or not, but you've separated sex from love so that yes, you are love and you're loving energy and it's first and foremost for yourself. And then you can give with love anything, whether it be, you know, a social media, you know, like and support or an intimate engagement with someone or your dog, you know, celebrating with someone else. Right. And so all of those frames don't, it doesn't seem like you have a, hi a hierarchy around them. No, I don't. I, I really just, I, I just love to love. I know I say that it's just the simplest way to put what I truly feel out there mm -hmm. because I think that, you know, we do have a hierarchy of love and we do, sort of frame our relationships around what your sexual interaction is like. And for me, I, I've had sex with some of my friends and with some of them, it's kind of weird, mostly on their part. Cause I pretty not weird about it, yeah. <laughs> but it's okay. I promise to take blame. If it's my fault, let me know. Okay. <laughs> but <laughs> you heard it here first. <laughs> I'm always willing to accept responsibility and try to make things better, but you got to let a bitch know. Mm. Um, but with other people, it's like, okay, we've had sex. It's like, okay, we've gone to the zoo together and we've had that intimate moment, but it doesn't have to be something that necessarily influences our friendship so much it doesn't change our relationship like I hope that we still like each other the same amount and enjoy each other's company the same amount and more often than not that's true for me and it's really nice and also again I love seeing that side of someone like sometimes I want to have sex with someone just because I'm curious as to what they're like sexually yeah. I just want to know right yeah, what, what sounds are you going to make? Like, you know, like, yeah, all the things. I get it. It's, it's, it is such an incredible window into it. Like, a, you know, people say, like, when I get drunk, you can see my true side or something. It's the same. Like, similarly, yeah, when you're intimate with someone, the walls come down often. And if they don't, that, I mean, that can be really challenging too. But do you feel like your walls come down even when the cameras are rolling? Like, are you fully open and yourself in the same way? Or is that more of a performance? I think it just depends on, on the day, on the scene, on my mood, on who's shooting it. You know, there are a lot of energies and variables on set that can't be quantified or accounted for. 
but for the most part, yes. And that's why I love what I do so much. It really does put me in a place where I sort of don't have a choice. I have to participate in this like act of loving myself so much or I shouldn't do this thing. Mm. And I had that choice, you know, I made my first scene and I could have just disappeared into the background if I didn't really feel comfortable. But I'm someone who, I love adrenaline. I love feeling anything very intensely. Like I am a slave to my emotions. I love to feel them very deeply. I'm a real hedonist in that I love to indulge. I like pleasure in all of its forms, especially the very small bite-sized ways. Mm. Like I have little padded uh, stickers in my shoes right now so that they don't rub up against my heel. And that's a small way that I love myself and I show myself love and like a little bit of indulgent luxury of just making something more comfortable because I can. It's so, I love that. I just want to give a shout out to my friend Crystal because it's reminding me, she's like, one of the most self-loving things I do, she said this to me quietly, it was such a beautiful thing. She's like, in the shower sometimes, I'll put my fingers through my toes and just soap up my toes. And I was just like, and now I do it. And it's the Does it best feel thing. amazing? Yeah. That one spot between your big toe and your right? middle toe, it makes you feel like <laughs> someone just stepped on your back. Yeah. So everyone listening, please, like next shower, give your toes some love. And it's true. Like these little, these little moments. And I, I, I totally relate to that. Those little nuggets are sometimes so satiating, so satisfying and beautiful. And it's almost as if if you can eat your meals with smaller cutlery and smaller plates, like you get a chance to appreciate them more because, because it's being offered in this like little dose and yet it's more impact in that way. Almost. With my dog, I have these tiny training treats and they're, <laughs> they're already very small, mm -hmm. but I break them in half and she doesn't notice. Wow. So she gets two treats. And to her, it's two treats. Right. She doesn't know that they're smaller than the one treat. Right. And it, it's that's such an important metaphor for <laughs> like everything, you know, like when you think about it. Really it really is. It's it's a beautiful point. I I I have so many thoughts and questions. I mean, one thing when you're talking about doing a scene and all of the energetics that go into that and the factors at play, and I think out of curiosity does that ever feel um, athletic? Like like it's almost like you're two athletes or multiple athletes like performing? Yes, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. It should be considered a sport. Right. Um, I'm incredibly strong. My dog, by the way, is a 50 pound pit bull. Okay. Like I'm very strong. Awesome. And, and how tall are you? You're not a very- Five two. Right. I'm yeah. just wearing crazy shoes. Yeah. So I would I would I would say you were a petite woman. Yes, I'm a I'm a small person. Yes. Um it's incredibly athletic. Yeah. Um it's it's sport fucking. That's right. what we joke that it is because you know, you spend anywhere from 20 to 40 to 70 minutes shooting mm -hmm. sex and it's a different kind of sex. It's not just sex it's its own specific genre it is sport fucking mm -hmm. so it's fun for what it is in my real life i'm not doing pornography sex right because it's not it's not the same without the camera it feels different without the camera i'm like why are we doing this why is my pelvis tilted at a 45 degree angle there's mm -hmm. not a camera we're not aiming at anything yeah you don't have to do that yeah <laughs> um it's definitely athletic, but I think that makes it fun because I'm a bit of a pillow princess and it makes it so that I'll get up and do my fair share of work. Got it. Nice. <laughs> I appreciate that pillow princess. So I guess I, you're, you're getting into a frame that I really want to talk about, which is the influence of like, like the traditional pornographic pr programming on 
American and international sexuality, right? And I'm sure that's a conversation that comes up a bit. Um, and I guess I have a lot of questions around that, but I'm really interested in your views around how that could actually change. Because for example, I've studied a bit um, and you know, as a meditator, I'm sure like you relate, like there's a lot of interesting frameworks when you start to look into things like Tantra or Qigong or like the movement of energy that can create, you know, integrating breath work into practice, right? And you don't often maybe see that in an adult film or hear about that. And yet that kind of wellness world and sexuality go hand in hand. Um, and there's a lot of talk of, well, pornography is like our modern sex ed. People learn how to have sex through pornography. Which is wrong. Right. Which is wrong. We should have sexual education. Yes. It's one of my biggest points. I speak about it. I think every time I talk about porn, I talk about the lack of sex ed, you know, in this country and worldwide. I spoke on a panel at XBiz Berlin um, just like a week ago and talked about this very issue of porn shouldn't be education. We don't watch movies. Like, I didn't learn how to drive from watching Fast and Furious. Why should you learn about sex from porn? You, we don't include everything that happens in the final movie, you know? We don't talk, we're not recording when we took a break so that we could drink water because we had a leg cramp and we're sweaty because the air, air conditioning isn't on or else you'll hear it in, right. you know, in the sound. There isn't, there isn't a lot of conversation of yes and no, what are your boundaries? Like I think kink.com is one of the sites that does it. When you watch a scene that isn't pirated, uh -huh. so you're, you paid for it and it's on the site, the full thing, it starts off with the performers sitting next to each other, discussing their boundaries wow. and saying, how do you feel about this? How do you feel about that? And we sign paperwork that actually says like, I have to sign my co-stars paperwork that outlines the acts that they are comfortable with, the acts that they are willing to try, and the acts that are an extreme no, and I cannot do them to them. Right. People wanna blame pornography for the lack of consent, for lack of a better term, that we're talking about a lot right now in you know the world. We're talking about rape culture, we're talking about sexual assault and we're talking about consent. People are like, well, in porn, they just do stuff to each other. Mm. We have conversations about this stuff before we turn on the cameras. Right. We have conversations about this stuff in between takes that we cut out for the sake of entertainment. Right. I think it would kill your boner if when you were watching porn, you're like, hey, cut, um, I have to change my sponge because I'm bleeding through it a bit. And the male talent is like, yeah, I can't come because it's too hot. Can I get a cold towel, please? Mm -hmm. I don't think you would like that very much. You'd much rather the hard cut to, to a cum shot rather than the buildup of, can someone get him a fan? Anyone have some ice? Right, wow. It's, it's a fantasy. Yeah. And a lot of us are making educational porn. A lot of us are making realistic pornography. And while that's cool, it shouldn't be our responsibility. We're taking on a responsibility that our, our government has. We're taking on a responsibility that our educational system is supposed to bear. We are not well equipped to handle it. You know, some of us are sex educators as well as adult film performers or sex workers, but the overlap is still not that great. We should have people that are teaching our children because Pornography has an incredible influence on society. You know, yeah. I think that it influences everything from fashion to pubic hair trends to, you know, popular sex acts to, you know, plots in movies, et cetera. But. Well, and our most intimate exchanges, right? Yeah, exactly. But people often want to blame pornography for things instead of just looking for different pornography. <laughs> yes, and I just wanna push back and say there's de facto and there's de jure, right? So de facto, mm -hmm. 
de jure racism is the racism that is by law, right? So that's kind of like going to the government and saying, okay, we need to change these laws so that, you know, you can't have slaves anymore. You can't segregate at the toilets in the pool. Mm-hmm. But de facto is the reality that racism continues to exist. So from where I sit, the de facto situation is that so much is being, so many people are being educated about sexual practice or health or whatever you want to call it through pornography. And though it might not be the responsibility of the pornography industry to educate appropriately, that is the place where the eyes are and where the attention is, as you just said, it has such a huge influence. And so when there's influence, there's also responsibility and you are an activist. And so I, I'm, I'm curious to hear from you, how do you articulate, and, and you said, you know, you're just speaking in Berlin about this, but where do you see kind of your role as an activist playing? And this kind of gets into collective love, right? Like, I think you can articulate, well, collective love is everybody enjoying the love that you are experiencing intimately with a partner on screen. But there's also the collective love of offering healthy sex to the world in, other, in, in all sorts of ways. Well, honestly, it's, it's hard to say, like, you know, you have this responsibility to do it because there's a tension on you. Okay. Because I personally... I'm just one person and yeah, I meant the proverbial. Oh no, I, I know. I just mean that like it's hard to hold corporate responsible for the well-being of people. Mm. You know, it's not in their best interest to make people more aware. Um, <laughs> I think it's also interesting the way that people consume pornography instead of just talking about like, Hey, People can like different things and consent to different things. If everyone went into watching porn with that mindset, I think it would be a little better. I have a friend, her name is Charlotte, and she does like triple anal punch me in the face, pee in my mouth pornography. Not my particular jam, but she loves it. Hmm. And she's often the butt of a lot of like, she is perpetuating violence against women through her porn, I bet she's brainwashed. It honestly is anti-feminist to assume that a woman can't consent to something that she enjoys or just consents to doing without being brainwashed or, you know, she's not acting on her own volition. Mm. And there are a thousand kinds of pornography out there. If you want to jerk off to something, porn of it exists. Right. I I promise. Um, you know, a lot of people are like, well, it's, it's all so violent against women and it makes men hate women. And I'm like, all right, I have some bad news for you. Right. But men hated women before pornography. <laughs> <laughs> we, we didn't do that. I promise. And also it's just, nothing is that simple. You know, all media is a reflection of the society that it exists in. So when people are like, porn is racist, porn is violent, porn is anti-woman, it's like, okay, all of those things may be true to an extent because society is that way. Mm -hmm. Society has racism, society has violence. There are other forms of media that are just as violent, if not more violent than pornography Mm -hmm. and like I said, so many people are doing the work that you're asking us to. It's just they don't have the same spotlight. They don't have the same platform of visibility, of being seen by the people who need to see it. Mm-hmm. I actually, I flew back from Munich a month and a half ago and I sat on the plane next to this Indian woman who, I don't know what came over me. I'm usually just like, don't talk to me, don't yeah. look at me. <laughs> like I have like, I wear a SARS mask, I wear big eye covers, and I wear big headphones. Like, <laughs> there's no part of my face that's exposed. Right. So we end up talking and we talk about my job and she tells me about her teenage sons and she tells me about how she's worried about, you know, his access to the internet and pornography and 
sex education. And I did my best to give her some resources on, you know, where she could look for healthy sexual education that promotes real sex positivity and that whatever you choose to do, as long as you're not hurting anyone else, is mostly okay with me. Mm-hmm. I don't have to personally agree with it for it to be okay for you to do right. X, Y, and Z. Yeah. Well, I think that also kind of brings in this question of shame and like going back to kind of the stigma, right? Shame exists in all of us in some way, often. Maybe not all of us, but uh, many <laughs> of looking us. looking at my shameless right. face. He's like, well, it, I can definitely say that I've experienced that. And I think a lot of men experience it and a lot of women experience it around their bodies, around their sexuality, around how you know religion condones or doesn't um you know their parents whatever framing there's all sorts of influences that can catalyze shame in a person and i think the culture of pornography um there's an interesting question around like is it celebrated is it something that is out there in the open for us all to experience and enjoy or which which I would argue is kind of the sex positive approach, or is it something that's usually enjoyed in private, in the dark, maybe at the mm-hmm. end of the day, right? Or you know, like it, you're it, not talking to someone while you watch pornography, yeah, that sort of deal. Yeah, we're not going out to. I mean, there was a time when we, maybe we would have gone to the local porn theater, but these days, I don't, you know, maybe there's one or two in LA. I don't know. I, I, I haven't. <laughs> And, and, and certainly like, I don't know if your releases are showing on the big screen nationally, um, but really like to me, that's almost like a, that's the sex positive future, right? Is, is, is being able to get to a place where it's almost celebrated and not shamed or tucked in a corner. I would love for it to not be shamed and tucked into a corner. I, while I like to pretend that I'm shameless, I definitely harbor some deep rooted shame. Mm-hmm. My mom is a Muslim immigrant. Like there's going to be some serious unlearning of shame for like the next 10 years. Mm-hmm. But I think that pornography has a place right now where we have our own film festivals, the convention and an award show in Las Vegas is the biggest event that Vegas hosts every year. Mm-hmm. We do a lot of things that are, mainstream media, but I don't know that I would support even like porn theaters. Mm. Like if I wanted to go to a porn theater, I don't know that I would feel comfortable doing so because I, what are the rules? Are people going to be jerking off around each other? Because Mm. that's one of the reasons that people watch pornography. And I think it's sort of secret because masturbation is shameful to some people, Mm -hmm. but also it's a very intimate act with yourself. And, you know, to be caught in it is very like, no, not my private, like this is my private me time. So it depends on what the intention is when you're consuming the pornography, because there are a lot of ways to, to see it. For me, a lot of the porn I watch now is just like, oh my goodness, look at my friend. Oh, she lo- she looks like she's having so much fun. Mm. She looks so happy. Mm. It's almost like a social media yeah, in that way. Yeah, exactly. Um, or I look at like the lighting style and how it's shot and I'm looking for inspiration. Mm. And I'm like, oh my God, like they did this cool thing in this place. Maybe I'll do that. Maybe I'll stick some lights in Ziploc bags and put them underwater in the pool or in the bathtub and make it look like that. Yeah. Who knows? Um, I personally don't watch pornography when I masturbate because it's all my friends and me. Right. So I'm. <laughs> you can go to like the 70s maybe and find yeah, some archival yeah. footage. So it's interesting. What, what's coming up for me now is actually kind of the intersection between social media and pornography. So I just recently was on my Instagram feed and this has happened a couple of times where I'll see a friend n- naked in a very tasteful artistic way. Right. So I have a good friend who took some naked f- nude photos and he posted them and they, la- you know, he was showing all his genitals. I think they lasted maybe 10, 15 minutes before they were taken down. Yet I was like, whoa, dope. Like you're posting your full body 
on Instagram to your crew. And yeah, we're going to see it, even if it's only for 10 minutes. Like, that's awesome. You know, how often, first of all, like, you know, the penis is the last thing that's usually shown in like a public frame, right? Yeah. Um, so like, it's just like props to you, dude. Like, awesome. And then I also just recently saw was saw a woman who I know who had a very beautiful photograph, artistic photograph of her and her nipple was showing. And it was just, I do think like there is this almost like inform. I don't know if it's informed by porn, but it's interesting how the kind of voyeurism and the social media artistry can almost create this interesting merging. I don't know if you see that. I have seen a lot more nudity than, you know, before from a lot of new people and people from all different walks of life. And I think it's really cool because one of my big points in sex positivity is nudity is sort of neutral. It shouldn't be inherently sexual and it isn't. You know, when when babies are born, it's not a sexual thing, even though they're literally coming out of a vagina. Right. And they are created by sex. Mm -hmm. It's not sexy. And, or, you know, maybe it is to some people. I'm not kink shaming, but. (laughs) For sure. Thank you for regulating that. But I think removing the shock value around nudity is something really cool. And it's a sort of miniature phenomenon happening right now where more people are willing to express themselves being naked and just like living their lives nakedly. Mm -hmm. It's not an invitation to be sexy. It's not an invitation to be sexual. Mm -hmm. It's just, this is me. This is another part of the vehicle that I live in right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a really beautiful point. This conversation has been so dope. I've forgotten to press pause and remind everybody that you're <laughs> listening to Extremist Love Radio. I'm the host, Ethan Lipsitz, and I have Janice Griffith here with me. She is an adult film performer, writer, and activist. Her work focuses on sex positivity, self-love, and the destigmatization of sex work through an emphasis on healthy sexuality, communication, and intersectional feminism. And she loves to love. I do love to love. (laughs) In case you forgot. Yeah, I know. I say it all the time. That's awesome. That's really awesome. And so I I guess I just, I think there's this overarching feeling that I would love to just touch on, which is love in the collective. And that to me, like what I was talking about with the last guest, uh, Madam Gandhi, she's a performer who's on stage and has a social media following as well and speaks. But um, I'd say her, her collective love is often experienced through her fans um, engaging with her. And I'm curious to hear how you see the mirroring of the collective, right? You have a huge social media following. You have obviously lots of eyes on you, maybe more so in private than in public in, in, in terms of the, the porn side. But I'm curious just how you feel that mirroring of collective love and, and yeah, where that shows up. Well, for me, I feel like I had to be ready to receive love before I ever felt it, mm. you know, from people and also from the collective consciousness of everyone alive, dead, just opening myself up to feeling deserving of that. Mm-hmm. feeling like I was allowed that privilege of being loved by other people. And I think that there's often a more shallow understanding of love when people talk about things that they're fans of or celebrities. They're like, oh my God, I love them. Right. Because for me, I I experience a lot of shallow love like that where it's it's really hate or um, fear, discomfort, veiled as appreciation or love, where people say really terrible things to um, women who are naked online. Mm. But more often than not, I'll get a message where someone says that I helped them feel comfortable in their body or I helped them 
understand something more about themselves or even it sort of makes me sad when I see these, but when people are like, I see porn stars as humans now mm. because people didn't before, you know, in the nineties in the height of pornography, there was no social media. Right. You only saw someone through the movie, mm-hmm. through that scene, you know, and then it wasn't until like Jenna Jameson and that era when people became familiar with them and they became sort of household names. Mm -hmm. And now with social media, it's not just my scenes and my red carpet appearances. It's what I ate for breakfast. It's my dog. It's this outtake from this thing. It's this concert I went to. It's a sunset. It's the beach. You can see a very multifaceted version of Janice Griffith rather than, you know, these 200 porn scenes. Right. So for me, I've been really blessed to experience people letting me know that I've changed how they think or that they've considered things differently or that they've opened their minds because I exist. Mm. And I have a lot of female fans that are so sweet and they, they, it really warms my heart. Like it, I feel full. It's that like overflowing sensation again of like, I'm a cup and it's just like a waterfall and I'm just like pouring into everyone else's cups and my cup is never empty. I, I feel like there's so much love being sent to me all the time. And I know that that's, a real reality for everyone once you let it in. Yeah. It's really interesting because I think when I was planning this conversation, I felt like I associated kind of the love expression in the collective to be more of a sexual thing. But now when you talk about it, I realize actually, no, it's more your humanist, your human side, the side that's not necessarily the performer, but that's the regular person on social media who's posting, I don't want to say regular person, but you know what I mean? No, like I, relatable I person where you, you have these things and, and, and that allows the work that you do. As I was talking about, you know, educating the public around healthy sex positivity and healthy sex, it's almost as if your authentic life is that education. Yeah, it really, I think it adds to it. It's like you you take everything with a grain of salt once you've experienced the more human side of people. And I know I went through that myself in, when I started porn, I met a lot of people that I had seen in porn before. Mm -hmm. And then I knew them and they became real to me. Mm -hmm. You know, like I, I don't think I, like I, I look up to people but I don't idolize anyone. I I try to remind myself that everyone is human because you set yourself up for disappointment and you hold people to impossible standards. Right. It, it just doesn't make sense for either party involved. And acknowledging people as the, the true, flawed, imperfect beings that they are and when you're willing to love them not in spite of that, but because of that, I think it's really powerful. And you know, I think it's funny that I I joke that I'm like I'm I'm harvesting souls. Like every time someone jerks off to me, like <laughs> how how many millions of people have sent that sexually charged energy in my direction, yeah. and I. I joke that it's what fuels me and that that's uh, how I'm alive. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Like I have, um, I have a flashlight so you can buy a mold of my vagina and have sex with it. And like tens of thousands of people have bought them, which is like crazy in a very ritual sense of like, yeah. And I, I was joking on Twitter yesterday. Someone said that they wanted to put it on their altar. And I was like, yes, please use it for all offerings and spell work. You have my blessing. It's brilliant. It's brilliant. Um, but that energy of, you know, any kind of focus, I, 
I like to think that I have a hand in cultivating it in a loving way. Mm -hmm. I, it's what I accept. So I think that the energy transmutes itself and becomes that when it comes to me, no matter how it exits the person. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I still think it's crazy. It's super surreal when, you know, people come up to me on the street and they're like, they can't talk because they're so freaked out that I'm in front of them. And it's all so powerful. And that's why I, I try to use my platform to be, you know, relatable, but really just, this is me. Mm-hmm. This is who I am. You don't have to like it, but if you do, that's really cool. Yeah. And I also just want to go back and talk to like the fact that you're transmuting that energy. I think a lot of people would associate, especially because of the shame culture, the stigmatization culture, a lot of people would associate that, um, masturbatory effect uh, as toxicity, right? As Mm -hmm. this kind of shameful, toxic energy that is being directed in your direction because you're cultivating it. And I think for you to say, I choose to accept that as love. I choose to accept that as life force energy and as it transmute it, alchemize it. I was about to say. Is is really, really amazing message to, to give and important because you know, to, to anyone that that wants to throw shade at it, it's like, well, no, nah, like your experience of this is is authentic and real, and and in alchemizing that for yourself and seeing it as as a beautiful thing, which I think it, it's very easy for us to see as well as the dark. It's really it's powerful. So thank you. I love um, you know emotional alchemy and taking something that you feel and working with it and even manipulating it into what serves you best. Like I'm all about feeling your feelings very deeply, but I'm more interested in how we can work with our feelings and how we can make our feelings work for us. Mm. I love the idea of, you know, accepting what you want to accept from the world and taking something that could be so toxic, even if it had a toxic intent behind it, I'm still receiving love. <laughs> <laughs> it takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of strength. You Thank know, you. Physical, but also energetic. Um, so I'd love for us as we get close to wrap up time, is there anything that you'd like to share on this topic of love that, that really feels like, hey, everyone listening, you know, I'm Janice and this is this this is this is my perspective on how I want you to take love with you today. Oh, I'm gonna need a moment to think about that one because so much of my my feelings and experience on love is about understanding when you're ready and knowing that you need to be ready to learn certain lessons and to take things with you and until you want to be ready you never really are Mm. and my relationship with love has grown so much when I was more mentally healthy honestly when after I started going to therapy really regularly and not only going to therapy but taking the work home and and being honest with myself and being honest with my therapist and not twisting things to try and make myself feel better, but being really real with myself, I think, I think I would say you are love, whether you acknowledge it, whether you know it, whether you feel it or not. And when you're ready, you'll know what I mean. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah, that's, that's a, I, I can relate to that. It makes it makes me think of a song. It's so funny. I, like I write these little mantras and get people together to sing them. Talk about alchemizing energy. It really works. And I wrote this song that goes, "The truth is always love, and that's our energy." And it's really true. Sometimes it hurts. Sometimes it's tough to confront that truth. But when we shed away the layers of whatever curtains we have up, the walls we have up to our actual truth, our core, and oftentimes therapy supports that and other practices, meditation and wellness, self-love practice, 
we are able to confront that truth, our truth, our love. So I really resonate with what you just said. Thank you. Um, Thank you. So yeah, this was a dope conversation. I have a couple last kind of little tidbits to ask. First off, where do we find you? Um, you know, if, if, if for those who don't know. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Rejanist, R-E-J-A-N-I-C-E-D. Like if Janice was a verb to Janice again in the past tense. Right. Um, that's Naturally. actually why I made it because I was deleted off of every social media. Oh no. <laughs> um, you can buy my flashlight at flashlight.com slash Janice. Very important. Put it on your um, altar. Yeah. Right. Use it as a, a vase, a makeup brush holder. You can I, put your penis in it. Your yoni egg. Yeah. Right. You can, you can charge your yoni egg by putting it in my fake vagina first. Under the full moon. Under the full moon. That's real. <laughs> That's real. All right. And uh, what's your favorite love song as a, to take us out here? Oh, goodness. I don't know what my favorite love song is. Maybe right now it's it's probably um, Kiss by Prince. Kiss by Prince? Yeah. Love that. That's just, Prince is... Probably like right now. I right. think it changes. That's okay. There, there's so many. There is no there is no forever love song. Um, all right. Well, we're going to drop Kiss by Prince on the way out. And I just want to give a shout out and a thank you to my guest, Janice Griffith, to Dash Radio, Dream Los Angeles here, where we're recording this, to Blaze and the Squad uh, at Dash, and to Providence St. Joseph's Health. I am Ethan Lipsitz, the love extremist, and you've been listening to Love Extremist Radio. Namaste.